what's going on, everybody? It is Monday, 7 o'clock uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, my name is Andre Anderson. I am both host and founder of BSTL. What does BSTL stand for? It stands for Building Something uh, That Lasts. And if you haven't done so already, I just would like to encourage you to go ahead and like and subscribe and share this message uh, these messages that we have been sharing for the last year and a half, um, we believe that these are conversations that if people begin to engage in them, we are going to see a lot of change, whether corporately or even if you have your own business, your own organization, uh, we are 100% certain uh, that you're going to be better off um, as a result of these conversations. Uh, so anyways, I want to jump right into this one. This one is called The Panic Room. Uh, and of course, I know you've heard or at least watched the movie Panic Room, um, but it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with it. I just like this one for this particular conversation. So uh, let me start here. Um, at the age of 12, my parents decided that they were going to move us um, from one part of the city to the next. Uh, if you don't know, I live in Toronto, Ontario, and I was born in Canada, and this is where I've spent a ma majority of my uh, lifetime uh, in this area of the world. Love it here. Uh, great city, lots of action, lots of things to do. Um, but my parents, at a point in our lives, uh, especially since I'm the baby of the family, they had made a decision. And I think it was a great decision uh, in hindsight. You know, when you're a child, you don't always understand um, why your parents do some of the things that they do. Um, but I think that parents, they really do know best, um, especially when they are sober-minded, meaning that they are making decisions um, that are best for the entire family. Uh, so we moved from uh, the west end, west end of the city to the eastern side of the city, um, to a place called Scarborough, and uh, big up Scarborough, uh, that's where I spent uh, most of my life, um, in that area. So what happens is, is that uh, before we move, I, you know, I was born there, basically. I, I've got a lot of friends there. I mean, we used to play basketball, um, floor hockey, football. We used to run track and field there. You know, it was my elementary school. I got to, I got to start at a, a middle school called, um, what is it, Ch uh, Chanji? No. Oh, see now, Smithfield. There it is. It, it just popped back in my mind. Smithfield uh, Middle School. Just a great place to be. Um, some of the memories that I have and cherish, most of those memories come from uh, being in that neighborhood. So what happens is, is that when my parents decide to move us to this other place, it's to a bigger house, um, it's a little bit more slow-paced, uh, less, less uh, easy access to trouble, if you know what I mean. Um, and they're happy for us, but I got to be honest with you, I am 100% miserable. Um, in those days, there are no cell phones, uh, nobody writes letters for real. Uh, to anybody. <clears throat> and so therefore, once I get into the car and the, the moving truck goes and we're in the family car driving behind it, uh, there really is no turning back. I, you know, in those days, I, I don't even know that people were taking people's numbers down. You just know what house to go to, uh, to knock and, and find a friend. Uh, first day of school, um, hands down, one of the worst days of my life. Um, I am new to the school. Everybody in the classroom seems to know everybody. 
Uh, they have friends. Um, they have family that are there. And I just kind of feel like I'm all by myself. My sisters are older than I am. And so they are in high school, which means that even if I'm having a difficult day, there is nobody in that school for real that I know. And no, let me explain it better. Uh, in the class that I'm in, um, I don't know anybody really well. I had one other friend in that school that I had known um, my whole life because uh, she was uh, part of the church uh, that I grew up in. So I have to just fix that a little bit. And, you know, prior to the first day of school, um, I had met some people, some nice people, but there's a difference with being on the playground um, versus being in the classroom. So now I'm in this classroom and I walk in there and there's a bunch of kids like myself and I already know, like I've looked at them and I know that they're coming for me. And anybody that's ever been the new kid at the school and look, my mom thought she had dressed me to the nine. You know, I had this kind of shoe, you know, knockoff shoe with these pants and this kind of lumberjack um, shirt and whatever. She thought I was hot to trot, but clearly when I walked into that classroom, uh, they didn't think I was hot to trot at all. <clears throat> so as I look across the room, I can see that there's a bunch of kids there that I know something's about to happen. And the, the, the dreaded thing happens. Uh, they begin to taunt me like right away. And um, I sit down and I'm trying to shrink uh, within myself, um, but they won't stop. So as they are now uh, taunting me and making fun of me, I can feel that my blood is beginning to boil because I don't know them. And I'm like, uh, this is an unfamiliar place for me. And when I say unfamiliar, I have done some taunting. And any, anybody that knows Andre knows that he knows how to do some taunting. I have been on the dishing side of things, but I can't remember too many <laughs> occasions where I have been the recipient of being taunted. And it was a tough place to be on that first day of school um, because really I didn't have any support. I didn't have a network of individuals that would come to the rescue because I was the new kid on the block. So in walks the teacher when I'm now about to uh, respond and defend myself, not so much as a fight, um, but with my mouth and boom. Like in less than one minute, I go from being a new student to being sent to the principal's office in less than two minutes of starting a brand new school. They send me down to school uh, to the principal's office um, from that classroom by myself, and already I'm getting the warning. I'm already being told of these are the rules here, this is what we won't tolerate, and I'm trying to plead for myself. Um, but nobody wants to hear it because when the teacher walks in, I'm at full voice. When I go back upstairs to the classroom, um, they've already moved my desk. <laughs> and when I say <clears throat> move my desk, I mean I was sitting somewhere close to the front, which would have been a great seat if I was academic in those days. Um, but they've already moved my seat so that I'm literally sitting right beside the teacher so I'm even more upset. So, you know, number one, they have ridiculed me and made fun of me. Um, but now, number two, I'm sitting beside the teacher, and that's not where I want to be. Like, the truth is, like, right away, I'm like, ah, why did we even move here? And I can't wait for lunch on the first day of school um, because my mom is home on the first day of school to make sure that everything goes well for 
all three of us, um, and I can't wait for lunchtime because I'm going to go home and let her have it. And when I say let her have it, I'm going to tell her about why it was a bad move for us to move. I'm going to tell her how dumb the school is and how I can't stand the kids and what has happened to me. And I thought, in my mind anyways, that it would just be so easy uh, to go back, um, sell the house, move back to the West End and just restart, you know, almost like we would just pick up where we left off. Uh, So when I get home and I explain to her what's happened, she just smiles and gives me a hug and, you know, says, all right, sit down, it's time for lunch. And if I recall the story properly, I don't even think that she really even acknowledges the fact that I've had this terrible day because she's just like, look, we're here now and you've got to make the best of the moment. And I start this um, podcast today of the Panic Room um, off this way because I kind of want us to have this conversation about what happens um, for leaders when they transition. And I think the transitioning period is difficult um, depending on what kind of a person you are um, before you begin to move up. And of course, when I say move up, I mean that tongue-in-cheek Um, Because moving up while a lot of people covet um, being promoted and moving upward um, and getting a raise and getting the corner office or whatever the perks are supposedly uh, that comes along with being promoted, uh, the truth is the transitional period is difficult. Um, And part of the reason why it is difficult is when you are transitioning, you may have um, been hired or promoted to do a specific type of job, but you don't really know what comes along with it until you're actually sitting in that seat. Like the truth is, you know, for a lot of us that have worked on the front lines where we have one responsibility and when the bell rings or when the clock turns to 4.30 or 5 or 6 or 6.30, we can log off and we can go home and go back to life. But to those that have transitioned and they are now moving in a direction where they are responsible responsible, uh, for doing more, they have more accountability that goes along with them, the transition is not always easy. And let me start off with this one. When you do transition, a lot of times you don't get to bring uh, friends, sometimes family along with you. And when I say that, here's what I mean. Uh, You know that you still have access to them. You know that you can pick up the phone and call. Nobody's blocked you. Nobody's done whatever. But the longer you are away from that other part of um, that subculture, and when I say subculture, I don't mean that they are beneath you. I just mean it's a different group of people. Um, Things do change there. Like the rules are changing. They are still on coffee breaks and smoke breaks, and they're still hanging out. Um, But the truth is, as you transition, there will be times where you will not be allowed uh, to remain as a part of that subgroup or that subculture because you now perhaps are going to have to hold some of those individuals accountable for behavior that they would have demonstrated to your predecessor, but the predecessor is now you. (laughs) And and I got to say this because, you know, once upon a time when people would be complaining about the boss, the manager, the team lead, the VP, you all had the same complaints because you were all at the same level. But now that you have leveled up, the reality is you now understand why your predecessor 
used to be so annoyed with you or annoyed with them because there are certain levels of expectation that come along with the new job that won't necessarily allow for you to continue to sit there. Now, I'm not saying that because you have transitioned and um, been promoted that you're supposed to now all of a sudden become this cowboy. Um, riding the horse by yourself and saving the world all by yourself. But what I am saying to you, though, is, is that you can and should expect that there will be a little bit of distance that is placed in between you and them. And it's better that way to some degree. And the reason why it is better to some degree that way is because you have to make sure that everybody is clear that while I respect you, and I will be there for you. And if you need something from me, I will be more than happy to, to help. I'm going to continue to be a compassionate leader who demonstrates that they love people and they are there to support their team. Some of what you will have to do won't allow you to be in the same closeness of proximity. Like, think about it. There will be times where you have to call them into the office um, to talk about whether or not they're doing well or not so well, or why they keep calling in sick or not coming into work on time. You know, there's so much about it. There will even be times where you will call them into the office because now that you are leading them, their respect for you um, has caused them to level up in their own work, even though they're still accountable to you. And what happens is, is that as you call them in and you highlight and you celebrate the good that they are doing, you may also be perceived as trying to pull that other individual away from this other subculture. And so rather than you now being perceived as being one who is there for the team, you may also be perceived as being one who is manipulative, uh, one who is trying to create these different walls between different individuals. I mean, you know better, but they may not necessarily know better. So what happens is, is that when you get into this room and your responsibility changes and the meetings that you um, are going to are changing and changing and the, the time that you take your lunch and your breaks are different. I mean, I know that they come and they knock on your door initially and they say to you, we're all going downstairs for a smoke break or a coffee break or just to uh, stretch our legs for a few minutes. And they knock and they're like, can you come with us after the third or fourth time? Because you have a report that is due at the same time that they're about to take their break, they're going to stop asking you to come. And they're not, um, they're not doing it with intentionality, but they're doing it because, yeah, something has changed. Uh, you haven't changed. They don't know that. You're the same person. You <clears throat> still like the same movies. You still like the same music. You still like to hang out. You still have the same sense of humor, but you do have a different responsibility. And so because your responsibility has changed and your level of accountability has changed, here you are now sitting in the room by yourself working on another report, working on another presentation, uh, working on a month end because you've got to present it and you've got to make sure that it's done well because if you don't do it well, now the person that you report to, you're going to embarrass them and now you're going to be in trouble. So as you sit there in this room and you're beginning to realize all of what comes with this responsibility, can I just tell you, here comes the panic room. And the panic room looks like this. Why did I even take this job? 
why did I transition? And I'd like to go back, but here's the thing. They've already changed your pay grade. <laughs> they've already given you, you know, the new nameplate. They've already put your name on the door. You can't tell them four or six weeks in or six months into the, the job, I'd like to have my old job back because I miss my old friends. So to some degree, in this panic room, you have to know that you've got to sit with this thing long enough so that you don't retreat before you begin to really understand and embrace your new level of responsibility and accountability. So here's what I'm also saying. I'm saying to you that it's not a bad thing when you have to sit with yourself um, for the next few months alone or weeks or even a couple of years on your own until everybody is clear that, you know what, business is business and pleasure is pleasure. And after work, we can have as much pleasure as you want. But in the interim, my responsibility, my job as a leader, as one who is leading people, I don't have the same flexibility as you do because I now have a different job. And so if you are a leader that is struggling with no longer being a part of the inner circle, uh, join the club. We've all gone through it before. We've all seen that the eyes change. And then, you know, once upon a time, the whispers, you would be brought in on the little office secrets. But now when you're coming, the whispers stop and people give you the polite wave and the, and the smile. But the reality is you may no longer ever be a part of that circle. And it's not necessarily your fault. And it doesn't mean that you, you got rich and switched. It's just a part of the culture of responsibility. And this is really what I'm trying to explain to you all. Um, and I'm maybe telling myself the same story all over again. As you move and you transition, the empty room of previous colleagues and co-workers that you are no longer around, they will be replaced with new people. And I know that it's hard because you 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 like them and, and they've been there for you and you've had opportunities to spend some time with them and you know their family members and you're not saying that you want to give all of that up. But what I am saying is, is that sometimes depending on the nature of your work and what the responsibility is that comes along with what it is that you do, the truth is sometimes you will be in that room all by yourself. But I also want you to be careful because even though I've said that you may be in this panic room all by yourself, you have to be careful that you're not doing it just because that's what every other leader has done before. And I want to balance this conversation out a bit um, because there have been many stories where you have great leaders who have been able to strike up that wonderful balance. And I think... Um, how they're able to do it is they have the difficult conversations with those that they are, quote unquote, leaving behind so that when things do change because they have to change, nobody's offended because you've already had the conversation with them. And, and oh, how important conversations are, um, because conversations allow you to say what you need to say before you have to come and say it. Um, in a different capacity. 
right? So you have to help people to understand now that I am your manager, your team lead, your supervisor, your VP, your regional whatever, there are going to be times where I have to have these difficult conversations with you because in some of the rooms that I'm going into, there are conversations that I'm now a part of um, that have created a level of awareness of um, the broader picture of the overall organization. And now that I understand that, and now that I've accepted the, the role and the responsibility that comes along with it, here's the thing. I now have to find a way to get your buy into this. So don't take long to at least share with those that you are leaving behind some of what you are now responsible for so that they will have a, a level or a measure of clarity as to how your interactions may be with them now that you have a different responsibility. And here's the thing, even though um, you're leading them now and you have a different responsibility, um, it doesn't mean that you're smarter than they are. It just means that you've done some things well and management has now looked at you and said, okay, I, I can see that person as being a, a, an extension of my office and that's okay. But if you don't have the conversation with these individuals, then here's the reality. One day when you come because somebody has made a mistake, whether it is by design, whether it's with intentionality or by mistake, however it happens, here you come. And the reality is, is that because you've been busy um, on this learning curve for this new responsibility that you have to take on, you haven't had the same connection. Um, you haven't had the same conversations for quite some time. So here's the thing. You now have become an outsider to a group of individuals that you used to be on the inside with. So by having the conversation and explaining to them what it is that you now have to do, I think that they will take it on um, in, in, in a different kind of way when you have to come uh, with a different capacity or in a different capacity because of the work that you're now doing. Now, let me also say this, though, as you are transitioning, because you may have never done this thing before, I'm giving you some of the secret sauce. You do have to go back and ask your friends and colleagues and co-workers that you have a great relationship with, ask them for real before they start disliking you. How am I doing and what can I do a little bit better? Now that's the secret sauce because the truth is until they perceive you as not necessarily being one of you, they will generally wish the best for you. So you've got to use some of that as leverage for you while you're in this panic room. You've got to call them into the office, not to talk about how they're doing on their job, but you've got to talk to them about how you're doing on your job. Because part of what develops this panic room, which is the metaphor for having to sit um, on your own, is you don't have any feedback. The feedback is not naturally there because you don't currently, in your new responsibility, have the same ears to the ground um, because you're no longer quote unquote one of them. So if possible, do your best not to forget those that you used to work with before if they will still accept you in the circle. And if they don't accept you in the circle, that's okay because I promise you the longer that you sit in the room with other individuals that share the same level of responsibility 
and accountability, here's what's going to happen. There's going, going to be a new subculture that is formed with new individuals that understand the weight of the work that you are now doing. But can I also say this? Because at that level of leadership where people are now accountable to you, you also don't want to become what you've now met in that room. Let me explain it to you in short. So one of the things that I've discovered throughout the years as a leader is that there are times where the culture um, forces you to do some things that may not necessarily be ethical, but it still gets the job done. Let me say that one more time. When I say unethical, I'm not talking about breaking any laws or, or committing any crimes, um, but there are some things that people do in the office because that's a part of the culture, whether it's backstabbing or speaking ill of people or sharing information that should be confidential, you know, and the list goes on and on. When you enter into that room, it will be easy for you now to become that because that's what everybody else is doing. But I've been leading long enough to know that you will never enter a room with the same leaders and stay there for an extended period of time and then leave on your own terms and everybody that was in that room initially is still there. So what happens is, is that you make some assumptions and I'm still talking about the panic room that you have to become like them in order to be successful. But here's the thing. If you drop your guard and you begin to do some of the stuff that is ethically not okay, but permissible by way of culture, then when those people leave and you try to switch back to who you naturally are, <laughs> nobody's going to trust you. And there will be a target that is on your back if you have demonstrated that you are willing to cower or concede to some things that are, are happening in that space for the sake of being embraced by those that have been in the room longer than you are. No, no, no. What you've got to do is you've got to know what your value system is before you enter that room. Because once you know what your value system is, even though everybody's got the same tags over their left breasts to identify who they are, and even though a lot of them are laughing with one another and spending time with one another, here's what I've discovered. It is possible to laugh and smile and not have the same value system as those individuals that you are now working with. And here's the thing, if you go in there with honesty and integrity, even though you may be lonely for a little bit, here's what you will find will emerge from this room, this culture, this space that is the where the new family is. What you will find is you will find individuals there that have the same value system as you do, they smile because maybe they don't have the courage that you might have to stand your, your, your ground. But after a while, in this new room where you feel isolated, you are going to make some friends that do embrace your value system. And after a while, you'll stop thinking about those that you have left behind in that working capacity. And you will build new bridges with individuals that understand this new weight that you now have to carry. And if you really do it well by communicating quickly and maintaining your own um, personal value system, then you'll have friends in the new room and you'll be able to maintain some of the friends from the old room. 
So this is the last thing though. As you're transitioning, you've got to build some bridges that allow for new people to, to join the room, as well as some new bridges that allow you to join some new people in the new room that you belong to. Panicking is a part of the process. The desire to go backwards, that is a part of the process. But if you sit in there long enough and you trust that you're in that room by design, because even before you were born, somebody, and I'd like to call him God, saw you there, then you've got to persevere for as long as you can because by doing so, here's the thing, you're now creating another bridge to help somebody who will emerge from the group that you've left behind and you can bring them and they can have your job. They can do what you're currently doing because guess what? Once you have left that space and moved up, because I do assume that you're ambitious and I do assume that you want to do more than what you're doing, you're now also mentoring the person that will take your spot so that when you get to the next spot, the value system that is there that creates this space of integrity and joy and peace and happiness and hard work and delivering on measurables, it will constantly be replaced by somebody different who can see that by doing things the right way and not compromising who you are or dumbing down yourself to be accepted, you will always be in that room with a different person in their own way, but you're also interrupting the culture. So guess what? Don't worry about the panic room. The panic room is only for a short season. And after a while, I promise you, you're going to meet some people who will become lifelong friends. And if you're really good at it, you're going to be able to maintain some of the old friendships from the past. And even though the two worlds may never collide completely, you can create a space where you get stuff done. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I have. The panic room, you don't have to be afraid of it. You have to embrace it and find a way to do what you've got to do because nobody ever goes into a room by accident. And since you're not an accident and that room was always yours at the appointed time, do the best that you can while you can because somebody behind you is depending on you to do well so that when that promotion comes and somebody asks you, do you know somebody? My prayer is that you'll remember those that you've left from and pull them so that they can become a part of this new room that will no longer be the panic room, but it will be the transitional room. If you haven't liked, subscribed, or shared this page, I hope you'll do so because these conversations are getting better in time because we want to help leaders to lead others who will lead others. Until next time, take care. God bless you.